When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, young Trish, I've had a mega brain fog moment this week, which could have been quite dangerous, I guess. Was this when you were trampolining trapeze high wiring? No, 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 none of my Olympic sports. No, okay. No, I was on my bicycle cycling at a leisurely pace as I do to my swimming. And um, I stopped at the traffic lights and I thought, oh, my hair feels all free today. And then I realised my hair felt all free because uh, I didn't have my helmet on. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Which in London, and gosh, imagine if I'd been one of my teenagers and I'd seen me, I'd have been furious. But um, my first thought wasn't, I'd forgotten to put my helmet on. Do you know what I did? I got off my bike and started looking up and down the road in case it had blown off. (laughs) Because what, you wouldn't have done it up? The chin strap? Well, I, none of it makes any sense. Of course oh, I would have done no. it up. What is, is That's a classic, I think, weird midlife brains not quite functioning. And it was only when I got back on, I thought, oh, I forgot to put it on, didn't I? And that's what's happened to you. So the question is, did you turn around and sensibly go home and get it? Or did you carry on throwing caution to the wind and risking your precious, precious life? Carried on, Trish. Oh, yeah. Carried on. <laughs> Went to, the, to, get to the, the pool. pool. Yeah. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Now, I know you might not have your cycling helmet on, but I hope you've got your thinking cap on today, Lorraine, because uh, we can't be having any of that brain fog situation going on as we have a very, very clever guest coming on the show. We're going to be doing a bit of quizzing too. Yes, you've already given a couple of clues to our guest there, Trish. She's a brainiac who is good at quizzes. She's also a pilot and quite good at the foxtrot. Well, while we let everyone mull that over and uh, ponder and see if they can guess who it is, I'm bringing back the uh, postcards from Midlife Geography Quiz. I'll get my coat, for God's (laughs) sake. (laughs) This is where you show me up because I'm absolutely hopeless at maps, countries, planet Earth. I think I just left school too soon to remember anything. I do actually quite like these quizzes because you get to tell me about all the places around the world that we've got new Facebook members. Yes. Postcards from Midlife Facebook groups, our private group, lovely ladies. 
Uh, you're in charge of the group, obviously, Trish. You write all the rules, do all the bossing, admit yeah. the members. <laughs> but I have to say, this community of women is just so fabulous and warm and supportive and funny. I will be humiliated in order to find out where they're joining us from. In their honour, we will uh, see how you get on. Right, I've got my list ready. I'm on them. I'm starting with Sophia. Where's that? I don't know, Sophia. Is it Yugoslavia? What century are you in? I don't know, Trish. I know nothing. <laughs> Come on, spin okay. the globe. We're not off to the best start. Sophia is in Bulgaria. Oh, that's the one I wanted yes. to see. Yes, because I do a Bulgarian twist in the gym. Now, I think you might like this one because it's quite glamorous. Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo's in France, isn't it? No. No. You don't want me on your pub quiz team. Oh, you've been there for a Grand Prix. Yes, I have loads of times, yes. Can I just tell you, I've flown out of Monte Carlo on Philip Green's private plane, which is a story for another time. Right, you're going to kick yourself. It's Monaco. Oh, yes, of course it's <laughs> Grace Kelly. It's really not about not knowing. It's just about not being able to remember anything. Carry on, as you were. Um, they get a little bit more tricky, I think, from here. Nairobi, somewhere in Africa. What are the African countries? Nigeria? No. Kenya. <laughs> Literally have no memory. Saskatchewan. Nova Scotia. Is that a country? Canada. It is, yay! She's got one right. Nova Scotia's Canada, isn't it? Yeah. I'm better on cold places. Carry on. Yeah. Okay. One more. Oh, God, this is a difficult one. Drogheda. Quite close to home. I don't know. She's doing a funny dance. Shoulders, eyes. I'm wearing a green top. My ancestors are from... Oh, Ireland. Yes. Well done. Ah, uh, Drogheda. <laughs> Didn't say it with an accent, did you? That was a terrible accent. I did. Okay, well, that was fun for you. That was fun for you. That's, <laughs> you feel better, let me say. Um, but we do like to hear a different perspective from all over the globe on how women are enjoying their midlife in, in other countries. We love being updated on midlife adventures. Gosh, we're getting some great ones, aren't we, in our private Facebook group. Women doing all sorts of things in their 40s and 50s that they just didn't have time to do before. We've had lovely... Bernadette, haven't we? Who's been on a solo trip across Greece? Um, she's actually set up her own little blog now. I think it's called Calamira Peeps, isn't it? She's been in all sorts of places and yes, a bit steamy in parts. That blog, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite frisky. A lot of frisky business going on with Bernadette. She kept us entertained over the summer on the group. Uh, we've also been cheering on Hannah, who uh, we mentioned her on the podcast last season because she uh, was telling her story on the group about she'd been a parent to three sons from just 19 when she had her first child. And just when she thought she could throttle back and focus on herself and you know, what she'd like to do in her midlife years, she had to take on responsibility of raising her grandson. And um, anyway, one of her adventurous plans was to do a solo hike. She did a six-day 140-kilometre hike. Goodness me. Camping along the way, along the Ridgeway. And um, she posted, um, she was posting pictures from it on the group, which was brilliant. But I love this. When she was about to start out, she wrote on the group, your messages really boosted me and I feel I'm going to be walking with at least 500 women in my heart. I will take every step for all of us, especially for those who are not yet able to begin their own adventure. Isn't that lovely? It's amazing. Blisters, sore feet, aching hips, shoulders, a swollen eye. The comfort of our kitchen, cheering her on. I know, but she says at the end, even though I've waited many years to do something like this, I know how lucky I am to have had the opportunity at all. 
I don't know exactly how yet, but I know I have changed. This week has been everything. Six days, me in the Ridgeway, hands down the best thing I have ever done. Thank you to all you brilliant women who have cheered me on every step of the way. We've been getting some emails as well, and we had a really great cheering on email after our Sarah Beanie episode last week where she talked about her recovery from breast cancer. So if you want to email us, we're at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. But Jill emailed to say that her mum had died of liver cancer and she'd remembered how awfully ill her mum had been during chemotherapy and she was very, very sick. Now, Jill, unfortunately, uh, developed cancer herself and had to have six rounds of chemo. And in her head, she had that idea she was going to be incredibly sick. But like Sarah, her consultant reassured her that, you know, actually... This should be a lot easier than what she would remember it. And a lot of people emailed and I had some messages on um, Instagram saying they dreaded their treatment because of what we think about it from the past. Yeah. Lovely Jill wrote, don't fret about what might never be and concentrate on the here and now and getting better. And she's been cancer free for six years. She also said she liked us going back to Sunday. We've oh, gone yes. back to Sunday, everyone. You asked. Mm-hmm. We listened. Anyway, today's show is going to be a corker. We've been waiting to get this guest on, haven't we, for um, yes. almost a year. And she's here at PFM Towers, as I like to call it. It's countdown legend, Carol Vorderman. I've been reading her autobiography uh, this week, Trish, and God, I love Carol. I love her even more. Her energy <laughs> and fearlessness is amazing. When she did Strictly, she broke a rib and carried on. Gosh. There's a picture of the moment she broke it in the book. Oh. It's quite extraordinary. She is a wonderful thing. And recently, an interviewer asked her, because, you know, people are fixated on what Carol looks like, aren't they? Um, and somebody said, did she think she was foxy at 62? And Carol said, no, of course I don't. I know exactly where I sit. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. Knowing where you sit is real confidence in midlife, isn't it? Um, she's that woman who's shown that we can all sit in many different camps. You know, she can be mass genius. Wear a bikini on telly. It can be sixty-two and and start to tackle MPs on Twitter. You should see her on Twitter. She's amazing. She's really tackling the COVID corruption. Yeah, she really is. She gives them what for, doesn't she? What I learned from her autobiography is we can be all things, Trish. Yes, and of course, um, Neil's a big fan because she's a pilot as well, and obviously yes. he's a pilot. They love the piloting. But uh, <laughs> do stay tuned for Carol. Uh, first up, we're going to get all cultural with our autumnal recommendations for some great TV, some arts, films, dance, theatre maybe. But not books, Trish. I'm not allowed to do books, am I? Because I forget this every time and you get really cross. I have to go on the naughty step because I'm saving the books for our book club episode, aren't I? Yes, we've got a fabulous uh, couple of authors coming on actually later in the season. We've got Raina Wynne, who is obviously the author of The Amazing Salt Path, which Love our her. lovely Hannah walking her thing. She was talking about that as a part of her motivation for going. I bet uh, Raina could uh, give Hannah a run for her money on the old blisters front, having walked the whole of the South Coast Path, hundreds and hundreds of miles. You can't do any of that, though, can you, Trish, because of your sticky hips? Anyway, less of your sticky hips. Let's move on to Culture Club and find out what we can do and see but not read this autumn. Look, uh, Margot's joined us for our jibber-jabber. She's sitting on the desk. Furry little menace. Little furry cat. And this week's jibber-jabber, it's our culture club, isn't it? We're going to be talking about the things on our radar for autumn, things that we're going to watch or go to or, um, I don't know, just enjoy. I wanted to quickly, before we kind of share the ones we wanted, I wanted to 
quickly ask you about lessons in chemistry because the TV show is coming out of Brie Larson. Ah, of Bonnie Garmus's book, best-selling book. Exactly. Brie Larson starring as Elizabeth Zott. I have just seen the trailer and it does look amazing, but I didn't love the book. I think I'm the only person in the world who didn't love the book. Do you know what? I think I need to quickly drill down because I think what might have been the problem for you is suspending belief over a telepathic dog. Yes, the telepathic dog and the genius two-year-old child. I think that was it. But the TV show, because we're not talking about books, talking about TV shows, that looks a bit broader. It seems to bring in the civil rights movement in that sort of era in America as well. So I think I'm definitely going to give it a go, even though I might get some hate mail about not liking the book. Can't like everything, Trish, can you? No, that's true. It's true. What do you like that's coming up this autumn then? Give me one of your favourite things. I'm going straight in with a film on Netflix out on November the 3rd. Uh, It stars Annette Bening, Jodie Foster. Oh my goodness. It's about Diana Nyad, who is one of my personal lifetime heroes. Oh. She is the first woman to swim from Cuba to Florida, which is a horrific swim without a shark cage. Sharks? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, because of the sharks and the deadly box jellyfish. It's really the story of her life, which is quite extraordinary. She's 74 now. She did the swim when she was 60. And then she kept doing it (laughs) until she achieved it. So she achieved it on her fifth attempt and she was 64. So if anything's going to give you fuel to try something new in midlife, you're not swimming from Cuba to Florida, but you might want to think about a job change or something else like that. It's the most extraordinary story. Her book is amazing. It's based um, on her book, Find a Way which I've read, and I think it would be really inspirational even if you're not even interested in swimming at all. But she uh, was abused by her coach when she was an international swimmer when she was very young. She's written very movingly about that. She swam around Manhattan. That was one of her. She's one of the first people to do that. But it's really how you get your head in a place, which she calls developing a steel trap mind. Get your head in a place where you can do something like a swim like that. Oh, look at Margot, just like, Walking across in front of me there, take all I can see is her bum. A bottom. Sorry, she's gone. She's gone. She's jumped off. I would highly recommend that. I have watched the trailer. It looks brilliant. Is Annette Benning and Jodie Foster? It can't possibly be anything but amazing, can it? Because they haven't been in a lot lately. So I like that. As Annette swimming as well. She looks phenomenal. Yeah, it? amazing. That sounds really good. What have you got for me? Well, mine is also about uh, sort of midlife and older women. And it's a little gem. It's a little gem I found also on Netflix, actually. Um, It's been out for a while and our Australian listeners will know um, about uh, this comedian. Uh, So the show's called Fisk. It's a little 30-minute comedy. I have seen it. Well, I recommended it, didn't I? And you, what did you say? Oh, my goodness. It's an absolute treasure. You love it, don't you? You absolutely love it. So um, that was a good recommendation. So it's Kitty Flanagan, who is this sort of Aussie comic legend. I think she's about mid-50s. And she's written this show and she stars in this show. And it sounds a bit bizarre, but it, it really does work. So she plays a sort of midlife woman who's just got divorced. She's trying to get her legal career back up and running. She's moved from Sydney back to her hometown of Melbourne. And she's just, she just sort of hasn't got it together, has she? She, she just wears this terrible brown suit. She's terrible at small talk and conversation. She just doesn't, like me really, doesn't get the kind of modern world and the modern ways of the young people. And there's a lot of eye rolling, I think. But she does get a job in a small law firm dealing with wills and probate. 
sounds so boring, but it's, it's so really funny. funny. Isn't it funny? Very dry, very funny. And it's this idea of women in midlife having to start again and adapting the, the weird world we live in, we're finding ourselves in. If you liked um, Colin from Accounts, yeah, this is along the same lines. It's isn't very it? different, but it's got that self-deprecating humour. So that's Fisk, F-I-S-K on Netflix. Thank you. I'm taking you into the world of podcasts. You know, I like a bit of a true crime podcast. There is one, The Girlfriends. They're always quite complicated, these. I've got a feeling this is going to be a complicated plot twisty. No? No, it's not complicated, but it will set uh, anyone who's got an alter ego like me called Militant off, quite frankly. It's about a Jewish surgeon, Bob Birenbaum. Um, It's an extraordinary story, actually, of dating and detective work. So he was a mysterious doctor who came to work in Vegas and dated various women in Vegas through the 90s. Quite a lot of them, but he had a very short temper and there was a mysterious box with his wife's name on it in um, a room that the, the girlfriends noticed. And a couple of these girlfriends sort of knew each other because they're all in the same um, area. And Carol Fisher, who narrates the podcast, began to wonder what had happened to Dr. Birenbaum's wife. Um, and she chatted about, began to chat about this with one of the other girlfriends because they'd all stopped their relationship with him because he was quite unusual. He was, uh, well, he's a psychopath, basically. And she brought those girlfriends together and they would meet weekly in a local cafe and talk about him, what was going through, because he was still being quite mysterious and then he moved. And they began to piece together his story. The story of them piecing it together, they started to look into police reports and things like that. His wife disappeared. He claimed she'd gone running one day, barefoot. Had she gone running or hadn't she gone running? So alongside their investigation, their sort of amateur investigation, the sister was investigating as well. And then what the podcast does is pull together and it interviews the police and it pulls together all the threads of this story. And I really don't want to spoil it but uh, for anybody, but what it is also about is the way we put ourselves in positions. These were women who were older. Um, he was a very eligible doctor. He was older. And they were in positions where they thought, I'll just, I'll just put up with that because who will I find at this age of life? You know, am I worth a man that's got his own plane that's flying me everywhere? It's really wealthy. What You know, why is he interested in me? It's a real psychological look into the way they viewed themselves. And actually, they just thought, no, hold on a minute. We are worth it. We didn't need to go through what that man put us through. It's, it's just really interesting. And obviously, the the final episode is gripping. So that's The Girlfriends, which is on all podcast providers. That sounds very like good gosh. indeed. Like an, a real life only murders in the building. It's a bit more serious. A bit more that. serious than that, though. I'm sure it is. Um, I've got also one that relates to podcasts, but it's actually a bit of a spoof. And um, possibly we might take a bit of offence at it. because <laughs> We might as podcasters. Wait, that's our new job. Well, it's actually called influencers. I don't think we're influencers, are we? We're podcasters. I am. Speak for yourself. You are. Yeah, sorry. Yes, you certainly are an influencer. Anyway, it's very funny. It's a little 15-minute comedy um, show on Radio 4, and it's written by Katie Brand, comedian, who came on the show. We had her on. She's been on the show. Uh, she wrote Good Luck to You, Neo Grand, which we uh, were all quite mesmerised by a couple of years ago. And Catherine Parkinson, the actress uh, Catherine Parkinson, who I love, you know Catherine, don't you? She's in loads of brilliant things. Here we go, defending the guilty semi. 
I'm actually might even say she might be our next Leslie Manville. I feel I have such crush on her and the things she does. They've written this little funny little 15 minute radio show. It's, you know, obviously a number of episodes. They play Carla and Ruth, who are friends and business partners. They have a website and a podcast together. It's a kind of behind the scenes, the chat about the menopause and HRT. Hold like on. A lot of friendly rivalry going on. Has she been listening to us? Do we need to sue for copyright? I don't know. I mean, they're quite, you know, like we talk about we're yin and yang. They're quite yin and yang. Well, some people think we're a spoof podcast, Trish. Exactly. Just <laughs> when Millie and Marion come on. One of them is so furry she has to wax her stomach and the other one is completely hairless. That's like me. I'm hairless. I don't have to wax my stomach though. Well, not yet anyway. But they're always trying to get freebies like gin and uh, jade eggs. God, it is us. It's very funny and it's just a quick little listen if you need a little bit of cheering up. Because I do like a little radio play. I don't know, but we might have to have the lawyers on standby. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right, bring it home. Number three. Militant's out. She's out. She's out in force. She has found some more difficult women who like to poke the bear for listeners to go and see. Okay. At Tate Britain, we have Women in Revolt, the first retrospective of feminist art from the 1970s through to, I think it's 1970 to 1990. There's a book that goes with it, which I will be buying my daughters for Christmas. And it's really art activism and the women's movement through a visual study. So it's got everything from punk right up to the Gorilla Girls. It's brilliant. You will love it. Yes. Quite angry. It's got some of those terrible ads. Women having their, uh, you could shave your legs so they're as smooth as the day you were born. Oh, that's really perverse, isn't it? Why would we want to do that? Anyway, it really makes me very jolly to think about that. Um, And it starts, that starts on the 8th of November and runs through to April. But also next week at Tate Britain, so through September, is the first ever big retrospective of Sarah Lucas. It's called Happy Gas, and it's 75 pieces from four decades of her work. What's your final choice for me? This is the sort of thing you thought you would never say in the same sentence. If I said to you, Carlos Acosta and Ozzy Osbourne slash Black Sabbath, I mean, what would you say to that? I'd say they're coming to my dinner party. (laughs) Exactly. So we're talking Black Sabbath, the ballet. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't, but I like a bit of ballet. Oh, my God. So Carlos Acosta is the um, artistic director, I've probably got the title wrong, of the Birmingham Ballet. And obviously Black Sabbath are from Birmingham. And he wanted to kind of put on programmes, not just your usual Swan Lake and all of that. He wanted to do something that really celebrated the kind of Birminghamness of the Birmingham Ballet. Are you going to do an accent? Dave, I was about to, wasn't I? Stay mm. away from that. So they've got Black Sabbath, the ballet. They have made, choreographed ballet to back Black Sabbath music. I can't imagine it. want to see it immediately. Oh, my God. It's so, uh, it sounds so amazing. So it's not like the story of Black Sabbath or anything like that. It's like three parts, a three-act show with three different choreographers that then it all kind of comes together in the third act, apparently. And uh, there's voiceovers from Sharon Osbourne and Ozzy. Uh, but obviously there's a full orchestra playing Black Sabbath music and dancing. They're bound to live stream it as well if we don't, if we can't get to Birmingham. Oh, exactly. Because it's on at the Birmingham Hippodrome from the 23rd of September and on at Sadler's Wells from the 12th to the 14th of October in London. I'm hoping it might be touring a bit more as well because I think um, not a lot of dates. I think it's going to be a sellout, that one. But 
go figure. The world is amazing. We could go do some headbanging pirouetting at the same time. Before we go, quick mention for Cherry de Winter. Oh, Cherry. One of our fabulous listeners who uh, emails me quite uh, emailed me a few times. It's very lovely. She is a singer. She became a singer at 49. She just wanted everyone to know that you can change complete direction. Uh, she's on Spotify. She, one of her songs is called Killing Them With Love which is about her houseplants, which reminded me, Trish, of that, uh, oh, my God, my houseplants are in such a state. You know that joke when death is just standing behind you oh, in yes. the kitchen and you say, uh, are you here for me? And he says, no, I'm here for all your <laughs> houseplants. It reminded me slightly of that. Anyway, yes. she said, I really admired her chutzpah emailing us, so I wanted to give her a little plug. Cherry de Winter, she's got a song called Little One and Killing Them With Love, which are both on Spotify, cross between Kate Bush and Bjork, she describes herself. Haven't had a listen yet, Cherry. Sorry, haven't had time, but thought I'd mention you because what are we here for but to support other women? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. start with our next guest well you first need to know that we're such huge fans of this guest that we've been trying to get her on the podcast for over a year now our terrier-like persistence has finally paid off hold on to your hats listeners it's the one the only carol vorderman a midlife queen who's been lighting the way for all of us following her through this tricky but magnificent stage of life and who better to follow down a worrisome path than the countdown legend a woman from whom we have much to learn. Carol has shown us how to confidently wear a bikini into our 60s, how to hold on to our sexual energy with a new way of midlife dating, how to challenge the patriarchy and the politicians, and also how to hold a plank for ages. Not bad for a girl from a Welsh comprehensive who started work as a civil engineer at Dinnerwig Power Station. When she's not in Parliament demanding MPs take menopause seriously in the workplace, She's helping us fight brain fog with a new quizzing podcast, Perfect Ten. A single mum of two, Carol Vorderman, MBE, is best known for presenting Countdown for 26 years, but she's also taken part in I'm a Celebrity Twice, survived Celebrity Bake Off, and hosts the annual Pride of Britain Awards. This year, she made her first appearance in Vogue magazine aged 62, and the Bristol-based TV star has a new book out, Carol Vorderman's Perfect Ten quiz book, which is based on her Perfect Ten podcast. When she isn't hosting her BBC Radio Wales show, she's roaming the country in her new camper van, toning her impressive behind in the gym, or flying her plane. We've lured her away from her cockpit today, hoping some of her infectious positivity and lust for life will rub off. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Carol Vorderman. It's very exciting. Very exciting to meet you both, finally. After all these years where I've heard your names being talked about. 
such high regard for you know all the magazines and all of that so it's lovely thank you for having me we're amazed that you found time to meet us actually because you're so busy (laughs) i follow you on instagram and when i look at your life now it looks like every chapter for carol has been this kind of rebirth of carol and you've got all this energy and you enjoy every bit of it would you say that maybe the midlife period from your 40s onwards has been your best the best rebirth I would say from my 50s onwards, and I was not in a good place in my 40s in a relationship. And so much as I I think that your 40s are great, it wasn't particularly for me. So then I thought, oh, stuff this with having just one on the go at a time. And so from my 50s onwards, it's just been great because I feel much freer. I've always been a very independent person and, and now I'm free to just do the things that I want to do. But I've always been very keen on fitness and health particularly. And so I am very fit and I am very healthy and I'm knocking on 63 and hopefully I've got, you know, a good few decades left in me. We should sort of kind of take a step back really to to some of the beginnings of, of all of this. And I think many of us are familiar with the amazing story about your lovely late mum, Jean, applying for you to go on countdown and you're not necessarily being interested but you were a, a maths genius and you did come from quite humble beginnings and you you talk about that but do you feel like through looking back to your life were there any particular setbacks along the way because obviously you then went to countdown for a number of years and everything took off and have you had setbacks and if so how have you dealt with them i think the worst ones were when i was growing up and and it sort of gives you um a spirit of, well, if I can live through that, I can get through anything. So mum was pregnant with me. My brother and sister are about 10 years older than me. And uh, so to go back to 1960, my mum was pregnant with me. And then my father, unknown to her, was having an affair with, the, with a, a young, very young woman. And uh, he told her after I was born, I was born Christmas Eve. And a couple of weeks after I was born and she went home from the hospital, he said, oh, I've been having this affair. She left went back to her hometown, which was North Wales. My mum was a, a Davis and all the Davises stayed up there, you know. And so she took the kids, my brother and my sister and me, back up to her hometown, which was Prestatin in North Wales. And we lived in this tiny little flat. And I, I had to share a bed with my mum until I was nine. There were four of us in one bedroom. My brother had like a little room, literally a room cupboard. And we had literally no money and my father never gave my mum money. Because as a child, you don't know how hard it is on you. When you become a mother yourself, you go, oh, right, now I get it. I was always a free school meals kid. My father was really odd, actually. would see my brother and sister, but he would never see me. I didn't meet him till I was 42. But my mum remarried this mad Italian who'd been a prisoner of war called Gabriele Rizzi when I was nine. And he lived in a town about 10 miles away in North Wales. Anyway, she decided that she'd marry him, but she wouldn't live with him. So then we ran away to the circus because my mother would never face anything. She'd just run away all the time. She took me, the baby, age nine, to the circus. And we lived with Billy Smart's circus. You just go along with it, don't you? You know, we say, oh, right, oh, we're here, are we? Oh, we're in Leicester. But you do what your mum says. And I ended up selling candy floss for a week in the circus. And, and, then, and then eventually she was persuaded to go back to North Wales with me. And we moved into Denby with my stepfather, who I called my dad and who I absolutely adored. He swore all the time. He'd been a prisoner of war. 
put a lot of Italian prisoners of war in, into Welsh farms. So his first language Italian, second language Welsh, third language English. So his language was all over. And he laughed at everything and he was loud. And suddenly my life became technicolor. And then she kept leaving him, I think, because he was having affairs on and off here and there. And of course, I, the baby, was always whipped off again to real or wherever we were going. So that was a really ultimate stability because I had my own bedroom for the first time in my life and then complete instability and then stability again and then instability again and then stability again all the way through, you know, age 10 to 20. And then I went, I was a Catholic. So I went to school in a, a place called Real all my life, a comprehensive school, free school meals, kid. But I was really good at maths, funny enough. And I'd been put up a year in school. And so I got to 16 and they said, you know, are you going to go? And I'd done really well in O-levels, really, really, really well. And they said, what are you going to do? And because girls didn't go to university back then. I said, well, I'm going to be a, a fighter pilot, so I'm going to university. You couldn't Google things. You know, you didn't know that women couldn't be fighter pilots, weren't allowed to be because they didn't have willies. Obviously, having a willy is very useful when you're flying, as we know. And so... I sort of, out of ignorance, really, or naivety, thought, right, I've got to do engineering because that's going to give me the best chance. I've got to go to the best place I can. I've heard of this place called Cambridge. So I applied when I was 16. That was amazing. I got in, I was 17 at engineering, graduated at 20 in engineering from Cambridge. And then my mother left from stepfather again. She said, this time it's for real. This time it's for good. I thought, oh, not again. She ended up in digs age 53 or something. I was living out the back of a car, I had one job offer, took that one. And then a year later, I was 21. And my boyfriend at the time was from Yorkshire. And I said, Leeds is lovely, mum. We can't go on like this, you know, me living out of a car and you living in a student house. So you get a job as secretary up in Leeds. I can get a transfer. I think the house costs 17 grand or something. Moved in, she'd been to Yorkshire in her life. I sorted it all out, moved in. Three weeks later, she saw the advert for this job as a numbers person on a new show called Countdown in Yorkshire Television, a mile from where we'd moved to, be the first show on Channel 4, this new channel. And she forged my signature, wrote a letter in, and that was how it worked. Yeah, so sorry, it's a long story, but it's like you go through that and when you have absolutely nothing... I wasn't burdened with this sort of, oh, you've got to be ambitious, oh, you've got to achieve, oh, you've got to do this, or you've got, it was always sort of self-motivated, really. And I've never, ever felt like a, a comparison to anybody else, because I've always followed what I wanted to do. Your own path, yeah. And it worked out. Brilliant. We've been talking about menopause on the podcast for three years now, and three years ago, nobody was talking about it, but there was one person. You were talking about it. So you were talking about it seven years ago. You were on TV talking about the severe depression, which had just overwhelmed you out of the blue. And you went on HRT and you talked about that. But there is a thing in society, isn't there now, where it's changing. Women in their 50s are supposed to kind of slink away. We're supposed to yes. gradually disappear. You have done the absolute opposite from how you dress to how you've been facing on these politicians if there is a woman listening today thinking, that's it, I have become invisible, I am gradually disappearing as I age, what's your advice? There are two aspects there. One, women of my generation 
have always been told to slide away. Even when I was hosting Loose Women, which was, what, 10 years ago, let's say, just over, it was only acceptable to say, oh, I'm having one of it. I'm having a crazy moment, you know, to do with menopause. Oh, I'm having a bit of a moment. Oh, and make light of yourself when you're going through this. It's not always horrific for, for people, but you can have horrific days. And now, thank God, uh, women are going, no, stuff that. This is what's happening. I need help in the workplace. I need to be able to hear from people uh, who are doing this. And and because it was this sort of patriarchy, you know, where women, oh, they go, they just go crazy. They say crazy things. We're driving a, a you know a horse and cart through that old fashioned society attitude for women who are going through the menopause. And I, I've become a part of what's called the menopause mandate, sort of political side of that. So when I went through, I had severe depression uh, for about six months. I think it was 2015. And there was nothing wrong in my life. I'd made a lot of money. My kids were fine. My mum was fine. Yeah, you know, everything was fine. There was no problem. And yet I would wake up in this huge bed in this huge house, you know, got a swimming pool outside, you know, all of that. And I just thought, what's the point? I don't see the point in this. And it would get really, really black couple of weeks a month and I think uh, to the point and I understand much more now clinical depression where you go I can't go through this again how can I make this stop and those thoughts of well there's obviously one way to make this stop they are suicidal thoughts we've talked to women in our in our group community who have had suicidal thoughts the estrogen dropping so then I always took on my Google calendar, you know, whatever calendar, when my pe- the day my period started, I just put a little P in there and colour. So I started, it came to Christmas, I thought, oh, I'll run away and go on holiday somewhere. That'll fix it. You know, like an easy plaster, sticking plaster over something. I thought, no, I'm going to stay at home. And I started analysing and I started going back and I'd tying it into bits of work that I was doing or when I'd cancelled work in the morning because I'd say I'd been sick, I hadn't. And I saw that even though everything was low, there was the time when it was lower hit when my period should have happened, going through the menopause. So, you know, uh, it was was sort of on and off and erratic. And I thought, what's it to do with hormones? But there was nothing around. I could only find this one professor, Professor John Studd, his name was. I thought, I'll go and see him. And so I went to see him. I booked in to see him in the January. And he said, oh, yeah, this is what I've done. Tens of thousands of women have this, it was bioidentical, it was estrogel and testim, I think, or testogel. Use that uh, and come back and see me in a month or so. Literally within 48 hours, done. Never had that kind of thought again. I was fine. Where, where do women find it in themselves then? Because you, you've got it from the experience of, you, of your looking up yourself being a survivor. If If I haven't got that, what do you think is a way of finding it? The confidence thing, I think, Stop reading the Daily Mail for a start. It is so embittered and it pitches women against women all the time. It is vindictive against women often. That would be my first recommendation because a lot of women, you know, my age go on it. You know, they do good health stuff and everything, but the online version, wow. So that's my first recommendation. The second one would be, and it is about confidence, but men go through it as well this lack of confidence they start losing their hair the pot belly starts and all of that and you know when they thought they were like super studs and now they know they're not and I think if you go at it from a position of this is about my health rather than about 
vanity. Start exercising. I honestly is the best thing for your endorphins. It's brilliant. Even if you only do 10 minutes a day, do it. There's loads of free stuff on YouTube. There's a wonderful young um, American couple called Juice and Toya who do workouts. You don't need any any kit whatsoever. You can literally do it in your bedroom or in your living room. And they have 10 minutes upper body or this, that, and everything. You feel better. Second thing is get fresh air. And then you just start to feel better about yourself. But now you're not looking at stuff online when you are, you know, where it's specifically geared to you comparing yourself to other women or some women enjoying slagging off other women. I can't be doing with that. You're out of that psychological space. You're into fresh air and you start thinking about yourself. Make the little tweaky things, you know, about choices. And you will find over, you know, three months or something, you will feel so much happier about it then the confidence grows so it's a combination really and obviously you've talked about your healthy eating and your book and your detox and everything but you also you're very open as well about talking about tweakments and how you feel uh, your your outward presence to the world and how we present ourselves because we can you know start struggling do i let the gray hair grow out how how much do i actually intervene with what this looks like What's your philosophy on that? This is another interesting thing. I, I mean, you, you both work, you're obviously in the fashion world forever, so you've seen it and you know who says what they've had done and what they haven't had and all of that. But, you know, 20 years ago, I started on the Botox. I used to go to Guy in Wimpole Street and the paparazzi would be out. They'd be strolling up and down trying to catch women out. It was always about the walk of shame, you know, and then... Yeah, the usual suspects newspapers would be on the phone. Oh, she's been in there. We saw her come out, you know. And then literally it would be like, you are meant to feel ashamed of it. Again, I go back to this psychological torture that women, some women put other women through all the time. And it's nonsense because if I do have mantras, do no harm. That's it. Anything after that, do what you like, as long as you're not harming anybody else. But there was this judgment on women. You know, we're, we're less than 100 years than when women first had the vote for all women. You know, 1918, it was for only women who had property. 1931, it was for poor women as well. You know, we're in this sort of transition. So it's, it's the judgment call on what people have, which is what keeps people from saying, oh, well, I did this or I did that or, you know, um, and, and still today there is that. Judgment, oh, well, look at her, she's not really what, you know, she's not what she thinks she is. And yet you two both know, probably better than I, you could write a list of actresses and this, that and the other, who've had facelifts. Why should they have to say that they've had facelifts? There's a misunderstanding, isn't there, that we're trying to look younger, but actually we're trying to look better, which we're not trying to look younger. That's not what's going on. There's a very patriarchal context for it, isn't it? Yes, it is absolutely not about looking younger. I like having Botox because. It makes me feel better. Am I harming anybody? Absolutely not at all. You know, I know who I am and I think it's fine, but I don't like this sort of shaming of women because I can guarantee if I went out and, you know, looked haggard one day and all of that, look at her cellulite, you know, you, you sort of can't win. Uh, and in the early days, they'd go, have you had Botox? And I would go, no, because if you said yes, you know, and then it would be boredom and denies. 
it's just nonsense. And now I've just got to the age, I just do the middle finger, basically. What is your routine then? So how what what's the boredom and breakfast followed by the exercise? Because it looks like you're doing weights, then you're doing running, and I then love what, weights. what's the routine and what do you eat? The weights, yeah, weights are very important. So I absolutely do not follow something religiously. I go to the gym when I can. Some weeks I'll go five times. Sometimes I don't go for two or three weeks. It's just work because I I don't work where I live. So I live in Bristol, but I work in London mainly, sometimes Leeds, sometimes Manchester. I'm always on the road. Last year, I think I had 40 nights at home, which was horrific. I can't do that. I try not to eat too much wheat because I bloat. My stomach goes, I try to get vegetables and stuff. When I'm at home, I can eat really well. But when I'm on the road, it's really hard because there aren't those things available. Have you gone sober yet, Carol? Because we hear a lot of midlife women, the wine is just terrible for them and they, they, they all go sober. And Trish and I are a bit worried we might have to go sober at one point. I think <laughs> you might. I can't do it anymore. Can't drink wine. No. Bit of a gin and tonic, lovely, but not the wine. <laughs> no, I can't do the wine anymore. I mean, I was at a big wedding a couple of weeks ago. That, like, I'm talking about a long, long, long 12-hour gig. I probably had three glasses over that time because I can't bear the, the hangovers. I can't bear the, the you know. Now, there's a, a lot um, uh, in the ether about midlife dating at the moment. I don't yeah. know whether you've seen the ITV show, My Mum, Your Dad, yes. which is great. Yeah. <laughs> and you've already yeah. mentioned the fact that... Um, you know, had a difficult breakup, marriage, and you date men and you see men. What have you learned about dating or seeing men and doing things on your terms at this life stage? Yeah, I think, again, it's about an independence. What I don't like is that there's this whole thing, you know, and, and Telly's as guilty as anybody, which is about a woman should be looking for Mr. Right. It's like, really? And that you can only be completed if you have a partner with whom you share a loving relationship. Now, I understand why some people want that. But last year I came out with the truth, which is over to, you know, the last 10 years. I haven't had a partner. I mean, occasionally one gets chosen as the favourite for a few months. But, you know, I, I prefer to have my special friends. And there's a lot of love in the room. But I don't want to settle down with anybody because I don't want to have to go through Oh, do you, do you want to come to this? Oh, just ask random name, Graham. There is no Graham, but you know, I just say it randomly. <laughs> oh, I'll just and see what he wants to do. I've done that all of my life. I looked after my mum for 30 years. You know, obviously the kids, uh, single parent, all of that. I don't want it anymore. And that's my choice. And, uh, and I explained that very clearly. And I think there are lots of women my age, you know, have gone through divorce. But that doesn't negate happy times. So I like to live in chapters. So I was married very happily to my husband, Paddy, Mr. King, father of our two children, during the 1990s, my 30s. And we were very, very ha blissfully happy. And then we suddenly weren't and we divorced. That was not a bad relationship. Then I was in a bad relationship. So they were two separate things. If you're happy, you're happy. A lot of women, when I came out and said about, you know, special friends... A lot of women said, fantastic, why not? Why do you have to, you know, this whole narrative, which is women have to be looking for the one. Why can't you have five? But you've got to have a strong sense of your own self-esteem for that, I think, because one of the things I note from watching my mum, your dad, is how 
vulnerable the women are. They they just never feel enough. You have to feel enough. How do you got that strong self-esteem? You know, and you're right in that there's a lot of vulnerability, but I think that's because we're following the same story, which is you're vulnerable because you don't feel enough for one person. Well, why put the key to your happiness in someone else's pocket? That doesn't mean that you can't love somebody. You know, Paddy and I were desperately in love and, and very, very happy. It's silly to have to put all of that onto one relationship. And so a lot of the women on that show, and I'm not criticizing the program in any way, but to me, it shows that they've been sold this narrative. And if you can't keep that man, you know, all these phrases, you can't keep the man. What's that mean? Can't keep a man, you know, you know, oh, well, you know, he was always going to go off, wasn't he? Or he always goes for the younger model. All of these phrases we've all heard, we still hear. And that's what gives women who perhaps aren't you know, I haven't gone through all the history that I've gone through and therefore you come out as a fighter, that it knocks their confidence. But actually, why can't you just go, do you know what? We'll have a nice week. We'll have a nice couple of months. Why does it have to go? And I think this narrative that I've started expressing, a lot of younger women go, go, Carol, go, Carol. Because they have that attitude. You know, they are freer in their thoughts. They won't say boyfriend, will they? My daughters won't say boyfriend. No. And one day they will. But, and they're happy in that. This last week, there was a big survey of young women, I think they're in their 20s, who said that given a choice, they would rather ha- have a house than a husband. And that's not anti-men. I'm not, and I'm not anti-marriage and I'm not anti-anything. I'm just saying, right, it's not all about marriage, which is what press and telly tend to tell you is you've got to fall in love and it's only valid if it's happy forever. Well, that's not how life works. Now, we should probably talk about brains. <laughs> brains. I mean, you've obviously got the wonderful podcast, Perfect 10, and now the new book to accompany it. Um, Lorraine and I have been scribbling away, not necessarily scoring that well. <laughs> I'm really bad at quizzes, really, really bad. And I've got a whole family of quiz nerds. They just love it. I've only got five out of ten out of the quiz. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's very good. Good starting point. But we love, we have a we have a little running thing on our Facebook group and on this podcast called Brain Fog Bloopers because obviously our, our age as women, we do, we do. It, it happens because of the estrogen and, to, and until you get that all balanced out, but have you always trained your brain? I love my brain. I enjoy learning and I enjoy laughing. And with the podcast, we've kind of put the two together. Really. So we always say I'm perfect tent on the podcast. You know, it's here to entertain you, to educate you and to irritate the hell out of you as well. You know. So this one is, is quite different because it tests different parts of your brain. Whereas Lorraine, you'll probably find that your quizzes in your family are general knowledge people. Ma- no, they're maths people. Oh, I'm math. Oh, I'm math. So I can do general knowledge and entertainment because I like reading papers and blah, blah, blah. But I cannot do maths or put the letters in. I can't do crosswords or anything like that. But they can. It's weird. They will have different kinds of minds. So perfect time, we've got a riddle, we've got uh, on the podcast, we give you audio clips, you've got to guess the well-known phrase or saying, we have a memory round, we have a few sort of things that you'd love, Lorraine, which are, we call them the three F's. So they're general knowledge questions, but about every day now, yeah, I'm good rather at that. than, I'm doing 11.07 when George <laughs> the Horrible go, <laughs> boring. 
but it's off today and it's very lively and there's a few lateral things in there as well. But the quiz book is kind of the written version of the podcast and it's all done in 10 minutes. You know, each quiz we say 10 questions, 10 points, all done in 10 minutes. And we do have a different one Monday to Friday. And, and, and I think that's what people like. You know, it's like a bite-sized chunk, really. As far as my brain's concerned, I just love learning and there's a joy in learning and it doesn't have to be entertaining doesn't have to be fashionable. It doesn't have to be anything, really. And there is this joint learning. And I think that's shown now in the way theatres are changed. You know, it used to be a performance art that would only be in a theatre. Now you find people who are giving factual tours, you know, like Brian Cox will, or, or Tim Peake will go, oh, and this is, you know. And, uh, and, it's, and it's like a, a very professional showbiz lecture almost, you know, and people enjoy that. So I think, you know, there's more opportunity to do that now and you know my, my daughter is a research scientist she has this great joy she loves her brain I love my brain I, I, it, it amuses me is it easy to train if you're not academic I mean you've got two children haven't you? you've got Katie who's 32 and Callum who's 26 and Callum yeah Cameron he went through quite a lot at school because he has ADHD and so he had a very different brain didn't he and I think Sometimes with our children, it's hard to know how to nurture each of their different brains, isn't it? How, how, what's your advice on that? He's off the scale dyslexic. So when she was like, for want of a better phrase, the perfect learning child, you know, super, 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 super bright. Enjoyed everything that I taught her. I enjoyed teaching her. She was like, oh, yay, maths. Couldn't have been more perfect for me. Cameron, very different. So I was teaching him his letters, you know, genetically, so be for mummy, you know, and you write it down mur, 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 a hundred times, and they go, What's that, darling? You go, Eh? And at first, you think, Is he having a laugh? And then over the months and months, you realize, Actually, no, there's something. I put him in a, a little school, he was kicked out of there. I think he was five because these children with special educational needs, they often find ways of making trouble to distract from the problems that they're having, even when they're very, very young. So I got to the point where no school would have him. And I found a school, very, very expensive, that only took kids who were off the scale with their needs. He was in the special school for, for many years. And then I put him into a mainstream school, but they had a unit. Must have been very hard for you as a single mum. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. But it's much harder for people who don't have money because the system now is, it was at breaking point probably five years ago. And I really feel not only for the children, but for the families there. And, and we know that of young offenders um, in young offender institutes, over half are dyslexic and, and re-offenders the same. And it, it, it's a cycle that has to stop, but it is nowhere near stopping at the moment. Cameron graduated, didn't he, from university recently? Was it last year? Yeah, Cam, Cam's got his master's now, but it takes longer. It takes them years to learn the confidence Actually, I've learned my strategies and he has strategy for everything and he's super bright. But, you know, he'll still have to live with his strategies because it doesn't go away. Of course, he can read now, but it's slow and it's exhausting for him. Mm. And I think that's what people think. Oh, yeah, there's a magic bullet. There is no magic bullet. But the one thing with his uh, ADHD and, uh, uh, and so on was he started taking a Ritalin equivalent when he was six uh, he still has it every day and he ran out the other week because obviously he manages it himself now he's 26 and 
he was just like his head was like, I can do nothing. And he realized then I used to call them concentration tablets. But 20 years ago, if I'd said, oh, I've got my son on that. Oh, well, hell, you're a terrible parent. You're this, you're that. Now, hopefully, people are slightly more educated about it and more open about it. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very proud of both of them, as every parent is. And the other special, not person, but uh, thing in your life, Mildred, your plane? My plane, yeah. <laughs> when did you learn to fly, Carol? Well, I, as, I, as I said earlier, I always wanted to be an RAF fighter pilot. Not allowed when I was at the age when I would have liked to have joined up. But this whole thing, it's always been like math, science, engineering. I thought, oh, I'm going to do it. So I learned when I, at that time, I was living with a, a former Red Arrow. Uh, so it was like the ideal time to learn. And I think I got my license when I was 52, 53. Wow. Well done. Yeah, I know. And I got to a very high standard. And then I bought my plane, Mildred. But when mum died before COVID, I stopped flying. Then COVID happened. Then I was out of currency on my license. And now to get back, you have to fly a certain number of hours a year in order to retain your license. So, you know, it would take me quite a while, probably take me an intense month to get back to it. And I just haven't got that month at the moment. At the moment, I, I rent her out to a training school. So she is used. It's a lovely plane. We can only say thank you for coming on our little podcast, Talk to the Midlife Women. You're such an inspiration. You're a trailblazer. We've been following you down this path. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Is there, between the paddleboarding and the special friends and the flying and the podcasting and the radio, what, what is next? What is the next chapter for Carol Vorderman? So I got involved in the political scene of, yes. know, last year. I think that's an and, understatement. Uh, you know, I am involved in Stop the Tories, Stop Vote, which is a website where you put your postcode in. We did it for the local elections. I had half a million people visit in four days. And we'd say, if this is all reward, Labour or Lib Dem or we're not affiliated with one party. And so we have big plans for the, the upcoming general election. Carol for Prime Minister? No, uh, I just hope to wreck this current story. <laughs> I, I, we hope genuinely that through tactical voting to reduce them to 70, can't even form the opposition. Because I think what they have done to this country, so destructive, they don't deserve to be on the political map. That's what I believe. Well, it's going to be an interesting year then, isn't it? Life's never dull. No, you well, not with you around, Carol. So thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. So I think nicely following on from Carol with Nostalgia Noodles, she had so many fun stories to tell her, but the little one about her and her mum running away to the circus. 
That was a good one. Circuses, it's a theme. It's a theme, or the funfair, because uh, there I was walking Bridie the Labrador on Wandsworth Common the other day. Well, there's a funfair on a bank holiday weekend. It's a full circus, full Zippo's circus, huge, spectacular, marquees, lights, everything. It was quite remarkable. Was the high uh, wire calling you? I think there could have been. I I think, yes, it took me back. I mean, I haven't been to a circus for quite a long time. Because obviously when we went when we were little, there would have been horrible animals. Aged animals Mm. and things, wouldn't there? Lions and such like. Not anymore, thank goodness. Bearded ladies. That's a freak show, I think. That's Hugh Jackman, though. Do you remember? What's that film? Oh, The Greatest Showman. Yes. Yes, like that one. I mean, not that far back. Obviously, we're not that old. We didn't go to Victorian circus. No, but we did have a lot of circuses in the 70s, didn't we? It was a really big special treat, wasn't it? It was really part of our language as well. You'd say, I'm running away to join the circus or I'm leaving big row with your parents and say, I'm leaving now and I'm going to join the circus. Not usually your mother that takes you to run away like Carol. (laughs) We were in uh, France. Uh, I think it was the last ever New Year we all spent together before the children were just too much old, so old that they couldn't possibly be anywhere near their ancient elderly parents on New Year's Eve. And we were walking past a very loud circus where there were animals, actually. So this was probably three years ago. And we heard this really worrying lion roar, like a proper roar. And my son said, To the teenager, the other three in front of me, I was walking behind them. He said, run, run, she's the slowest. They'll get her first. (laughs) He thought they were breaking and the lion was breaking out to eat. And if they ran, then the lion would eat me first. Oh, they always want to throw you under the bus, the kids, don't they? Well, they just want to see you ripped apart by a wild animal. Oh my goodness, I feel what a what a show it was today. Yes. I've absorbed some of Carol's energy, which I think has added an extra 10 years to my life. If I've got an extra 10 years, there'll be an extra 10 years of shows for you all, won't there? Yes, exactly. Do tune in next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.